Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm here with Elias Randall. We're going to talk about something today, Elias, that I think we said we're not going to talk about anymore. That was going to be my first question. I thought we were, aren't we done talking about this? I don't know. I, th- I think this is an interesting article that I ran a buy on Yahoo. And I've actually gotten the question from some clients that I work with. And uh, the, the the article was titled, um, Why Worry, Worry About the Next Crypto Crash? And, you know, there may be some reasons people should be concerned about crypto going down in value, even if they don't necessarily own crypto. Yeah. And so what are, I guess, what are some of the reasons for that? Just the popularity of cryptocurrency now that there's so many people putting money into it. Um, and I know the article read about ties to the stock market. So what are some of those things going well, on? So the last time we saw, I mean, I shouldn't say the last time. I mean, it went down 50% here recently. We're going to refer to Bitcoin. It went down 50%. But the last time we really saw prices go down that quickly was in 2008 when Bitcoin fell as much as 80%. But 2018? 2018. Uh, and at that time, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general was kind of in its own financial vacuum. And what I mean is it wasn't really as intertwined as it is today. You didn't have any, you know, large organizations that own Bitcoin. It wasn't as easily tradable, right? You had to go find a wallet. I remember people like, how do I even trade this stuff? Well, today you can go purchase cryptocurrency through PayPal, Coinbase, apps in your phone. I mean, it's just become a lot easier to facilitate transactions. I mean, earlier this year, crypto had a market value of like $2 trillion. So that's not like a little financial vacuum anymore. I mean, that's actually a pretty big deal. So there's actually funds out there that um, uh, you can get exposure to Bitcoin in. Um, That's not directly through the stock market. So it's just much more intertwined into everybody's daily life. And you you see this by Tesla buying it. You see it by Mass Mutual, a large insurance carrier, bought Bitcoin. They don't have to disclose that, but they did. So it's just much more linked to the economy. And if Bitcoin starts to stumble, we could see some type of ripple effect through the financial markets. What that is, I don't know. The only thing I'd say is, you know, Bitcoin came off 50% from its high, right? It was highs around 60,000-ish. I don't know the exact number. Um, It went down about 50%. And we didn't see like a big reaction from financial markets when that happened. We didn't see a big pullback in the stock market. So while this article says maybe you should be concerned, I don't know what the direct correlation is yet at this time. I think we're too early in the infancy stage of cryptocurrency to see what that really is. Yeah, and I wanted to bring up some, this might be an opposing view to some of the the points in the article because it was in kind of what we mentioned, there's more institutions putting money into crypto but I haven't really, I guess everything that I've seen, even Mass Mutual, I think of a percentage of the t- company's like total um, net worth or total, um, I guess what, assets. It's like a really, wasn't it like 1% of their total? And that's kind of, it almost seemed like across the board, that's what super rich people were doing was 1%. Institutions were doing 1%. So I agree with I agree with, yes, it's a lot more intertwined. I guess I just don't know that 
and I guess this is some speculation on my part, if there, if Bitcoin went down a lot in value, I don't know that it being like 1% on all these different institutions, um, financial statement or statement of assets, whatever. I don't know that that would be that detrimental to them because it's not a large portion of what they're doing. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Most people, institutions, individual investors who are dipping their toe into this world are utilizing small allocations, right? I mean, as a percentage of what their overall investment net worth or free cash flow or um, like, you know, when, when Tesla did, it was just, a, it was like seven or 8%, I think of their total cash, not even the company assets, just cash. Um, so they're not putting giant positions here, but what they're doing is they're saying, Hey, if this thing takes off and because some becomes some type of a dominant currency, which is what people believe could happen with Bitcoin, mm -hmm. whether I believe it or not, it's not relevant, but people believe that. So what they're doing is they're saying, Hey, maybe I'll own a small percentage of this just in case this does happen. Um, in, in one of the way, ways that I kind of try to determine whether things are becoming really mainstream, right? Is it getting to the retail invest retail investor, which yeah, retail investors are already buying this, but JP Morgan, I just read this. This was on um, the same thing. I came through think advisor, but JP Morgan is now offering access to crypto funds for their clients. So, so now your client is JP Morgan, you can get access to crypto in your brokerage accounts. Yeah. Was um, there anything in there that talk, are they limiting it to like a certain percentage of the portfolio or can you buy as much as you, was there anything like that? The there? article didn't directly specify that, Got but, it. but what they've approved is, um, four investments from grayscale, which is their Bitcoin trust, the Bitcoin cash trust, um, Ethereum trust and the Ethereum classic trust. And then the fifth fund is an Osprey funds, Bitcoin trust. So they're going to have access to it, which I think they're the first, let's call it broker out there to provide access, direct access to yeah. this type of an investment for their clients. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure there's going to be some level of, you know, so call it compliance on how much they're going to let, let people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. And then I did want to ask about another, there was, so there was in this article, it talked about the stable coins, um, one called tether. So stable coins, it's almost like in the cryptocurrency, it's like the equivalent of like a money market fund. So one tether or stable coin is the value of $1. And I, I don't, of all the crypto, the stable coins, ever since I learned about them, I that's the one I dislike the most. And I could be incorrect for having that opinion, but if it's if it's worth one dollar, why, just have why dollar? am I not just keeping my <laughs> dollar in the bank where it's as liquid as possible? Or I just have that dollar in my personal wallet as a one dollar bill. So and this article didn't to me. I get some of the things they're talking about, why this could be dangerous stable coins and how they're using, which I didn't know this, I guess they're using commercial paper to kind of back them. But still, I just think in general, as a product, if it's only worth a dollar, just keep your dollar, keep it in the bank, keep it in your pocket. Well, here's the issue with a stable coin. Yeah. They're one of the largest purchases of commercial paper. And while experts say that that doesn't pose any systemic risk, it may because what they're saying is, well, you know, it's not big enough to bring down a market. 
well tethers not yeah the, right, the stable coin right. in general stable coin in general yeah okay but that's the same thing they said about subprime mortgages in 2008 yes that so, subprime yeah. mortgages this 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 won't be big enough to bring down the market once again someone made a prediction and they don't really know they're they're conjecturing hey i don't believe this they don't know for sure so i think some of the things people can do um you know to be i don't know concerned about this but not like we talk about hey have a good financial plan one do a really good job of diversifying between asset classes two um and having some cash in case you know there is or becomes an opportunity in the market i mean so that's how kind of how we we plan for that i think um I know we weren't going to talk about Bitcoin, but it was one of the highest trending articles. And I wanted to just talk about, you know, some of the 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 issues with the the intertwining between Bitcoin and markets that we see today. That wasn't here in 2018 when they had the last, you know, large correction. And we're not saying there's going to be a correction. I mean, Bitcoin's up. A large amount the last couple of days. Um, yeah, at the end of the out, day, even speculating on. A correction in Bitcoin, it's still a prediction. No one knows if that's going to happen. It's still like we always say, we don't have a crystal ball. It'd be great if we did, but we don't. So it's, I mean, whether it's a prediction in the overall stock market or prediction about crypto, it's still a prediction. The person saying it doesn't know. They're a weatherman. Financial weatherman. So another topic that has been brought up by um, some of my friends actually is student loan cancellation. And this is a big, I don't know, platform that the the current administration ran on. We're going to cancel student loan debt, and which they have. There's 45 million borrowers in this country that owe $1.7 trillion in student loans. So whether you think we should cancel student loans or not, it's a problem. In, in I don't know if it's a problem that everybody in the U.S. has to take care of, but the problem is education. Yeah, with, I don't think yeah, I don't think canceling student loans is I don't think that's the real solution. To me that's like a band-aid so, on so, a wound that needs a on stitches. So think about this student loan debt is the second highest consumer debt category in the country, second only to mortgages. And if you think about what we do to the young people in this country, we send them to high school, we tell them they have to go to college. We don't teach them how to pay for college. You give them a loan application. No. The day they graduate, like, here's your loan application. I know for a fact I had no idea what I was doing when I signed up for student loans to go to college. It's just like, here's what you do. So I did it. You thought you were getting free money. You're like, but oh, you man, they give me all this money. There's no talk about, oh, yeah, by the way, if you decide to go to that private school and spend $200,000, you might have to pay $2,000 a month in student loans. And yeah. I would think back to my college experience. There's a private college in Iowa that I really wanted to go to. My family was involved with Luther College. I'll, I'll say who it was. I wanted to go play football there. At the time, they had a new coach. They were passing the ball like 50, 60 times a game. It was super fun offense. So I went up there for my visit and great time. I'm going. You were going to be the the Tim Dwight of uh, <laughs> Iowa Conference football. I just I just want to go. Out, I want to go have fun. That's all yeah. it was about. It was just fun. So I, right. I, I'm like, I'm going here. Like, I'm convinced I'm going here. So, you know, the next day it's like, well, let's go talk with financial aid and talk about your package. And Glaze like, well, this is what your tuition and room and board will be. And it was like forty four thousand dollars. I'm like, is that for all four years? <laughs> no, they're like, no, that's for a just year. One. 
And it was one of those things. My parents made enough money that there wasn't much aid. I didn't have quite good enough grades to get any scholarships. Um, so I came home to my parents. I'm like, I'm not going to Luther College because I understood what that meant. That meant I owed two hundred thousand dollars. So right, instead, I took the done. I took the baseball scholarship at Kirkwood, where my dad teaches, and I went for free. That was and I lived at home. So that was the option. But I was conscious of that decision, I think, partly because my dad was in the education system and had seen these people crippled with debt. But we don't teach kids that. So the, the problem then becomes we've racked up all of this debt in student loans with no conscious idea that we're going to have to pay it back. And now we want to bail them out. Well, I don't know if that's really our, our job to do it, but we have. I mean, this this um, administration where did I see they've canceled $40 billion of student loans already? $40 billion. $40 billion. I mean, that's a large number. I think that I have like 10000 left. They could cancel for me. I'd like that. <laughs> I don't have much left, but it'd be nice to just cancel it. Yeah. I, I just struggle with the idea because here's what I know about student loans. They didn't all go just for education. Oh, no. No, people tack on stuff because they want a TV. They're going to go to spring break couches for the fraternity yeah. house yeah there's a lot of stuff yeah. that gets piled on yeah there. i think there's ways to fix this problem and i'm i'm giving you my opinion at this point but i don't think the way to fix it is enabling people to just keep making poor decisions because the fact that you took the loans you're conscious like you signed the documents mm -hmm. what about all the people that got the loans paid them off early and oh by the way they're not going to get them canceled you're going to give them money back it's just right. it's just such a slippery slope there's there's a research study being done to find out what Biden's ability to actually his legal ground to forgive these loans are. And I don't know what the answer to that is. The second part of it is, and I didn't really think about it because I don't have any student loan interest on federal loans. You haven't been you haven't had to make a payment since March of 2020. Yeah, they paused them and the, there's no penalty. There's the interest isn't accruing. So the question becomes when they turn the switch back on in October, mm -hmm. which is when they're supposed to, that's when new payments are going to kick in, right? Yep. Assuming, you know, you don't have a hardship and you can get more deferral, which people will do, right? They're going to create a hardship. What's that going to do to people that for the last two years of their life has been spending that discretionary cash? If you had 20,000, if you had a $30,000 student loan, what's your payment on? I don't even know. Three, 400 bucks a month. I don't know. Yeah, I would I'd guess. probably something They're probably like letting that. spread yeah. it out 10 years. Yeah. But okay, well, now you got to pay. What happens to that discretionary money? And it makes me think a little bit about what's happened in the economy is a lot of this, well, I don't have to pay my student loan, so I can go buy more stuff. So it'll yeah. be interesting well, yeah, to see so, what happens in October. Yeah, it's going away. That's a hard stop. September 30th, they're done. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with student loans. But don't don't count on yours being forgiven. And remember... At some point, you're going to pay again if you have these things. That's a good transition into our next topic. So Peter Thiel, he's got a billion-dollar Roth IRA, which um, when your money grows in a Roth, we know that it's tax-free and you're never supposed to be taxed on that again. But apparently, apparently one person does something really good with the Roth IRA, and now there's proposed changes. Yeah, so I think we should back up. Not everybody knows who Peter Thiel is. Mm -hmm. Okay, Peter Thiel, he's an angel investor, venture capitalist out of California. 
he really came to prominence and was mainstream in the movie The Social Network, which is about Facebook, um, when Mark Zuckerberg goes there in a hoodie and his pajamas and gives him his business card. Uh, but anyway, Peter Thiel was one of the um, early investors in PayPal. So what Peter Thiel did is he bought, I think it was like, a few million shares of PayPal. I don't have the exact number here for $1,700. So it was a Roth IRA contribution that he legally made, but he made it in a private company, which was PayPal at the time. And it's now grown to $5 billion. And now, like you said, one person has managed to cause upheaval about, man, how can this rich guy have $5 billion in a Roth IRA? Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't break any rules. It was a qualified. He was a qualified. It was a qualified investment inside a Roth IRA when he did it. Yeah. So he hasn't broken any rules, and if he did, they're gonna they're researching this. I'm sure the IRS is going back to make sure everything was done exactly yeah, right. They're which, gonna audit it. I'm sure someone like him wouldn't have done it if, like, if it was gonna cause him trouble down the road. I'm sure he knew at the time it would be okay. But all these things lead to a slippery slope, and what I mean by that now, Congress is all up in arms about passing laws about. IRAs. I mean, the first kind of step towards accelerating tax dollars on IRAs was in the the bill last year, the year before. We're now on an IRA. You have to take it out over 10 years, and they eliminated the stretch, the lifetime stretch IRA. So got to get our money faster. But now they want to actually come back and say, maybe we should limit how much a person is able to accumulate in a Roth IRA, which you know, I guess I don't understand if you make great investments, and you stay within the contribution rules. Why should I have a limit on how much is in there? Because now the next thing is, well, now we're going to limit what investments you can have in there. And it'll be the right. death of the IRA. So we'll kind of coin this. Congress is coming after your cash, your tax free dollars. Yeah. And here I had a couple, I guess I have a couple issues with it. So and a lot of the stuff I've been reading was one of the talking points is, well, Roth IRAs were intended for the middle class to accumulate retirement dollars. And that's great because that's what it's for. But in my opinion, we don't have enough people taking advantage of it. So it's almost like, okay, I get it. One guy did this. So it's important and exciting to talk about. But really, let's talk about how do we get more people to participate in this before we start talking about, well, let's change the rules and let's make this sound like a a dirty thing because someone, this guy had a grand slam. Mitt Romney did the same thing. Mitt Romney had some shares in a, that grew tax free in his qualified account. But I'm sure, and I'm sure he was made out to be a bad guy. But for here's doing the point it. though. They didn't break the rules. Like don't get right. mad because they found a loophole in the system. You know I what mean, I was, <laughs> they exploited a loophole. That's your fault. Don't come back and try to fix it now. But I think your point is right. The goal here shouldn't be to talk about all the negative stuff about, man, this is what they might do to a Roth IRA. The goal should be if this is really for middle-class people, which it is, they phase out the contribution limits at around 200,000 for a household. The most you can put in, in any calendar year, is six or 7,000 respective of your age. So how is that a benefit to the rich person? They happen to make a great investment. Yeah. So what? They hit a home run. Yeah. The rich guys that have hit home runs in their Roth. That's to me, it's irrelevant. So let's get, let's get more middle-class people maxing out their Roth every year. So what about the person that is a healthcare provider and they were on Reddit Mm 
And they decided to take their $100,000 Roth IRA and put it into AMC at the beginning of the year, and they ripped a 2,500% return. Are we going to tell them they have to take it out now too? Because they're not rich. They made a great investment. Was it luck? Yeah, probably. But point is, lots of right. people could get lucky. So we're going to limit that person who was middle income, and now we're going to consider them rich? It's just, it's not right. So here's some of the things they propose, though, to do. Um, one of the things they would like to do is if you hit a certain amount is make you take the excess out as a distribution each year. That's one of the big things. And I don't know. I, I think that amount was like 10 million, which for most people, they're probably never getting 10 million in their Roth IRA. But here's yeah. the problem. What, what about what about yeah. the people who converted and spent all these tax dollars up front to convert their half a million dollar account or million dollar account during COVID? Oh, my million dollar accounts worth 600. Let's convert it. Pay all the tax today. And now Congress back comes back and says, oh, wait, wait, wait. You can only have so much. So I just we did a show on this mm -hmm. like four months ago that the rules always change. Oh, absolutely. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like when you go on a when you're a kid and you go on a family vacation and then your younger sibling gets everyone in trouble because they're acting up. But now it's like you could be at a theme park and the one kid's misbehaving, and now everyone's sitting on the bench in timeout because one person was, you know, because one person ruined it for everybody. The problem is he didn't misbehave. Well, I know, and that's how he didn't. The lawmakers like, are just upset that right, they are taking advantage of the situation. The lawmakers are upset that they didn't think the loophole through first. That's what they're really upset about. They didn't think think through the loophole. Well, and they're they, jealous that they don't have a billion dollar Roth IRA. Yeah, well, Anyone who's mad is just jealous. They thought the way to manage Roth IRA is managing contributions. That's how they thought. Well, we'll manage yeah, contributions, so first, that won't help yeah. the wealthy. Well, yeah, but if the wealthy has the ability to convert or do something different, it still can help everybody. So um, be on the lookout for changes. They're going to try to change IRA rules. There's been a lot of different proposals regarding 401ks, IRAs, and Roth IRAs because it's such a large amount of money that it's a way to generate more tax dollars, which my guess is they're looking at this and saying, hey, this is $5 billion we're not getting tax revenue on from an income tax standpoint. Because what I want people to remember, that's still subject to a state tax at $5 billion, right? So he's still yeah. going to pay half of that roughly. He's paying $2.5 in tax some way someplace down the line when he passes this to the next generation and it probably is going to be more than that based upon proposals that are out there today speaking of changes roger do you think it's time to free britney <laughs> man i you know the free britney movement i'm all about it set her free i haven't followed that much molly brought it up I to my either. attention and yeah, i know the gist of the story and, and basically you know, 12 years ago, Britney Spears was put under conservatorship by her father, um, Jamie, and he manages her $60 million estate as well. But I think there's more details coming out as to what is actually happening here. And in the problem is this is like most things, there's two sides to every story. And I don't really know what side to believe. But if the things that Britney is saying is are true, she's really being held captive from her own money. Yeah. And the conservatorship is set up for people who have severe cognitive impairment, older people, dementia. Um, I don't think she suffers from that. I just keep wondering. I mean, there should be like if she doesn't have any cognitive impairment, like 
there should be someone who can attest to that, right? Like there should be an avenue for her to go talk to a professional or a group of professionals and then they can make the determination. So, you know what I mean? It's like, this is such a weird situation. How do you just keep someone? She's claiming she's fine. She's getting a lawyer, but how do you keep someone stuck in this position? It shouldn't be that hard to demonstrate whether you're capable of taking care of yourself or not. Well, you know, I, I read an article and they interviewed her first husband, which they got married in Las Vegas, middle of the night. Yeah, of course. Of and course it was her ex husband's going to say you're crazy. No, that's not actually what happened. That's not what you he said. You haven't read the article. No. <laughs> so her, her first husband was actually her high school boyfriend. Okay. And they got married. And right after it happened, there was all this pressure for them to get an annulment, which he didn't want to have an annulment. That's when this conservatorship really started because they didn't think she was a mental capacity. But at that time, she's making all this money, and the boyfriend said in the article, or the the first husband, he actually had to pay for everything because she never had access to her money. Think about it. So you're marrying Britney Spears, and you had to pay, which it's fine. It's the male, whatever. You had to pay for the wedding ceremony, all that stuff, because she doesn't have any access to the money. So I don't think this is the beginning of her not having access to funds. Like she talks about this. She just hasn't had access to money. How much that is. I mean, it's her money. It's like, we talk with clients. It'd be like, yeah, a client comes in here and the son is a conservator said they can't have any money. Yeah. So I'm telling you, if I'm famous and I'm making all this money and then my family's keeping me from the money, that would drive me crazy. Well, and then it begs the question, how much is dad making for managing this money? I, that's, I always believe there's motivation somewhere. I want to know how much dad's making from managing this money, which is $60 million. I mean, if he's stroking off a few percent a year, he probably doesn't want to give it up because he's given up uh, his livelihood. I'm sure his lifestyle is pretty decent. Probably he's probably better, doing okay. Probably better than hers. Well, yeah, she's under conservatorship. Right. I mean, but, but most of the time, these are set up to take care of the aging or people who don't have mental capacity to do it. Right. You have a family member who has dementia. You set up a conservatorship. I had a situation with someone I know dad lost mental capacity to some level, got involved with the Jamaican lottery, which we all know what that is. Scam. Yep. Sitting in the, Mar- sitting in the Walmart parking lot in Marion, waiting for him to deliver the money like for eight, 10 hours at a time. Conservatorship was established doesn't mean that the kids didn't let dad have money it was just moderate as to where it was going because to to this day he would still be part of that and believes he's going to get his check right if they wouldn't have done that if he wouldn't have done they would have given and they're they're helping him they're helping him so those are the places where conservatorships are there and maybe at some point in britney's life she was at a mental capacity that maybe she could make those decisions but it seems today that Maybe she is. I mean, I saw one thing. She was forced to perform, didn't want to perform, and they made her perform um, at a Las Vegas show. So I think this will be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think it uh, it's a good lesson to know what people's intentions are. Because I'm not sure the intention here wasn't to provide dad with a nice living. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I bet if you f- could somehow get access to the documents and follow the money and figure out what it's worth to him, I'm sure you'll find the answer. So, Elias, one of the things I got a call from someone the other day, they got a check in the mail from the IRS client. Mm-hmm. And I, I go, why'd you get a check? For, it's not from the IRS, but the Treasury Department, excuse me. And they said, well, child tax credit. 
So a lot of people don't know this, but you might be getting a check in the mail. If you have kids under um, 17 years old, there's estimated 39 million households began receiving advance payments in 2021 for the child tax credit. Um, and, and what the credit really is, is um, the American Rescue Plan, which was passed earlier this year, gives $3,000 per child age 6 to 17 and 3600 for children under uh, age 6. Um, it is income-based. So it it's 75000 for a single person or 150000 for a household, and it starts to phase out from there. Um, so families will receive monthly payments up to 300 per child from June until December. So I actually called my CPA when I had a client call me. I'm like, is this like legit? Like when someone calls me and says they got a check from the treasury department, they're not expecting. I'm like, is this like a scam? Are they trying to get you to cash this? Let's verify this. Let's verify. So I called up my accountant. They said, yeah, and it's actually prorated over the course of the year. But what I want people to know is it's based on your past income, actually based on your 2019 income. So if you made 150000 in 2019 and you're making 210 today, you may actually have to pay that back because the key is these are advanced payments. Yeah. So I want people to be aware of that. And I, I do. I think some people are getting them and they're over the income. I actually I know a few people that well, because I know their income's over the the limit and they still got it. So I was explaining to them, like, you might just want to save that because you're either paying it back. You're not going to get that. Ta and I explained what it's a tax credit. It's an advancement of your tax credit. It's crazy. We're and just I'm sending like, people I, more I'm money. Fairly certain you guys should not get this. And they did. This is so. just an expansion of all the coronavirus payments sent to people. That didn't need it. Now we're sending 300 and some odd dollars to people in advance that might have to pay it back. So a couple of things to consider when it when and if you get it. OK, things to do with this money. Right. It's meant to go to help offset child care and all that, which are expensive. Right. If you think about daycare, it's probably a couple hundred. I don't do daycare. My wife stays home, but it's probably a few hundred dollars a week. So one, if you need the money, oh, yeah. obviously apply it towards daycare. If you know you make more than one hundred and fifty thousand as a household. You should put this in a separate account and title at tax. Yeah, save you're, this for your tax bill. You're, right. You're probably paying it back. And if you don't, then you can go apply it to a 529 or some other type um, use for your kids or whatever you need it for. But if you make more than this, please don't spend it. Save it. Otherwise, you could have a nasty surprise because you'll owe potentially this money back. Um, yeah. And I but, hope I just I hope if you're getting it. And, you know, use it for your kids, use it on their daycare, use it for their education. But that's what the, the child tax credits really is for your kids. So you should use it for them. So, I mean, I was just shocked when I got the phone call. Like, I didn't even know this was happening. I don't get one. So whatever. Um, You're phased out. I'm phased out. <laughs> So I didn't know even know they were coming. I just got this strange call. So anyway, when I talked to uh, my CPA about it, he said, tell the clients who aren't eligible for this, they can actually opt out. Yeah, you can. So you can opt yep. out of this child tax credit um, and stop getting the monthly advances. So if you're making 250000 or more, just opt out of it, be done with it, because they may have inadvertently sent it to you based upon a past tax return that you have filed you know, two years ago. Um, so I think those are just some good things to do with it. Uh, but just don't be surprised at tax time if, if you have to pay this back because people don't, you know, people get a check to think they can spend it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you spend it and then you owe it at the end of the year, that might be kind of painful when that time comes. Right. So the, I'm going to end the last thing. We had another appearance 
This is the financial weatherman of the week. Jeremy, One of my favorites. Jeremy Grantham is back with GMO, um, super respected um, investment company. Uh, but he is predicting, of course, a market correction or crash, I guess, um, in the near future. Yeah, so he sent out, basically they released a chart with, it's their, what, expected returns over the next seven years annualized for all the different asset classes. Um, all of them negative other than emerging market value companies. Which, you know, so, here's what's classic. International sucked for the last 11 years. Yeah. I mean, So what, you're going to call the one asset class that sucked? I mean, they're calling for, is this a seven-year return of minus 8%? And you, yeah, in U.S. large in cap U.S. large stocks. cap stocks. Yep. Well, when did that ever happen? They're calling for all bonds to be negative over the next ten years. So we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven asset classes, and the only one they have positive is emerging value. I, I don't know if this ever happened. Not saying it can't, but really. I don't think this is real. Like, so there's a lot of times they've been wrong in the past. They love international. I'll never forget. We had an investment company come in here. I don't know. I don't even think you were here for the meeting. This is like three or four years ago. Telling us how we had our own clients in exposure international. I just laughed. They said, why? Well, you know, it's poised for growth. I said, never had a client ever come in this office and ask me how the international market did. They only right. care about the U.S. stock market, doesn't it? And oh, by the way, the international market the last 10 years has been horrible. So they actually 10 years ago predicted emerging markets would do really well and U.S. stocks would do badly. 10 years ago, GMO predicted this. Guess what happened? U.S. stocks opposite. have averaged 14 yeah. to 15% a year. You know, emerging markets, something significantly less. In, so, in 17, Grantham said stock market valuations are too high, predicted a crash. Wrong again. November of 2020 said the bubble was imminent, saying it could happen in the next few weeks. Seriously, the next few weeks or months. This is in November of 2020. Nothing happened. Since January of 2021, Jeremy Grantham has joined the likes of the best financial weatherman, Michael Burry and Harry Dent. They're, if they're not the top three, they're definitely, they're up there. I mean, they are up there. Here's, so I, here's my question about Grantham. Cause his, so his company they run they run funds and they have good funds that have done well. Do you think some of this for him is like he just wants to be able to say, "Look, I was right" as like an attraction mechanism to his investment company, or is it is it even maybe like maybe if I underpromise and overdeliver, it's just odd to me how I get he I don't. His doom and gloom predictions to me are odd, especially when he's, you know, he's running a money management firm. So, well, hey, and then it's like it's it's like obviously your guys's funds aren't following your predictions, so you're not that convicted in it. Here's why he has to keep it going. He's been wrong for ten years. It goes back to if he keeps predicting emerging markets are going to do the best, eventually, they will. We just don't know when. So if you follow the prediction 10 years ago, it could be 17 years, 17 years. So 10 years ago, plus the next seven, it could be 17 years for him to be right. 
And then he can say, see, I, I told was right. You. I told you. I was right. It only took 17 years. I was right all along. I wasn't right. I wasn't wrong. I was early. That's what all go. predictors say. I wasn't I wasn't I was wrong. Early. I was early. I was early. Right? That's what Michael Burry actually said. A famous quote during the big short. I'm not wrong. I might be early. Well, the question is, how much pain can you take if you're early? I mean, yeah, I can call a stock market crash and I could have sat out the last six years. What's the cost to that? There's always a cost to that. And it goes back to the key point. Got to be right twice when you sell and when you buy. Yeah. So with that said, uh, I'm going to tell people you don't need to grab your umbrellas. Don't worry about the weather, man. Make sure you have a really well-written financial plan. You have a well-diversified portfolio. So when it does rain, all will be okay. Yep. If, if you need help with that, go to btwellshow.com and click start a plan or contact an advisor. We'd be happy to help you. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.